Well, we've been talking about supernatural increase for a week or two. And uh, I believe that you are and will continue to, according to the Word, according to the promises of God. But I want to kind of switch gears, at least begin to talk about this uh, sixth factor, factor number six for supernatural increase. And uh, what it kind of does is it, it kind of just brings everything together and begins to tie the principles together for you and for me. But I want you to start with me over in Hebrews chapter 11. And you can write this down. That sixth fa factor is very simply this, believing. I've got to be a person that believes what God says about these things. I've got to be a person that walks in faith according to what the Word has said about supernatural increase. And so we'll kind of take a look at those, those other factors uh, in the light of this principle. But uh, yeah, a couple places I want you to go to, but let's just start over in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So when it comes to supernatural increase, faith is believing that even though you may not be in that position right now, hello, just because you're a certain way now doesn't mean that you're going to stay that way tomorrow. That you're working in progress and you are actually progressing in the things of God. So it's certain of what we hope for, our inner image, and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. They were able to believe God for things that were told them in the Word, in the utterance of God, through the prophets, uh, through ministers like Moses, and they believed the things that were told them, even though they physically didn't see them at the time they were told. Anybody can, can believe after something manifests. In fact, anything that you're going to believe for in, in terms of what is supernatural from the new birth on, uh, it's going to require faith for you to tap into that. It's going to require that you believe. Believing is the principal duty of, of course, the child of God. We can come up with all kinds of rules and regulations, and you'll see tonight, and if we don't get it tonight, we'll get it to it Sunday morning. You can have all kinds of things, even in, in terms of your own discipline, down and pat, you're doing this, and you're doing that, and everything seems like you're, you're complying with all the religious standards. But if you don't believe... Nothing's going to work for you. You cannot take religion and substitute it for faith. It will not work. Your faith can have an expression of duty, an expression of works, an expression of keeping certain principles. But if you don't believe, it's all going to shut down on you. So we're never going to get away, by, you know, away from the concept of the spirit of faith or the spirit of believing God. Tonight there should be a spirit about you and it shouldn't be a spirit of despair. It shouldn't be a spirit of discouragement. It shouldn't be a spirit of confusion. Can I have an amen tonight? It should be a spirit of faith or a spirit of believing God. When somebody comes across your path, they should just sense, you know what? I just sense this person believes God. They live their life believing God. What did God say? And being diligent to follow through on that. So this next verse says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now there is a, a double-edged sword here I want you to see in this verse. First of all, be, by believing we can understand some things. If you don't believe, you're not going to understand how God formed this world. You're not going to understand spiritual law, spiritual principle, unless you actually believe. So believing affects your comprehension. Believing affects your revelation level. 
When you walk with the spirit of faith, your revelation level actually goes up. It actually increases in terms of discerning and understanding the things of God. The other side of this is where it says that by, by we understand that, that God, by, for by God's commands, that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, you understand specifically that this world, this universe, was created not with nothing, but with a thing called faith. Write this down. Faith, according to the King James, you know, you know, translation, it really points something out that's important. Faith is a substance. It's a it's a heavenly matter. It's 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 spiritual matter. It's hard for us to grasp this because everything around us is physical, and we live and breathe and function. That we're heavily influenced by everything, the physicality of everything. This building being physical, the concrete beneath your feet, you know, the chair that you're sitting in. But faith is what God uses. It's the building block of everything that is seen and unseen. And so when someone says, well, God made the universe out of nothing, that's not true. What did he use? He used faith. So if a believer decides, I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to walk in a spirit of faith and a spirit of believing God, you can see there's nothing for them to work with. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. You don't believe God cares about what you do with material things? You don't think that God is watching what you do in terms of offerings and sowing and tithing? You don't think God cares about these things and how it's connected to your faith life? The bottom line is a big reason why people are not consistent in their sowing, in their giving, in their tithing. It's really a faith matter. In this verse, going all the way back to Genesis, God is tying believing to the practice of giving that honors God. It's phenomenal. It also shows you here that that is actually how he was reckoned like just uh, Abraham. He was, he was given or credited with righteousness because of that faith. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. See what happened to him? You can say he was raptured up. Uh, you could say that he experienced something that you and I have not experienced yet. But look at somebody say it's coming. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now watch this. And without faith, without believing God, it is impossible to please God. I'm going to do this for God, and I'm going to give my life for God, and I'm going to go over here and do this ministry, and I'm going to do this service, and I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to do all these kind things for people. But you're not doing this in the mode of believing God. Guess what? You're not pleasing him. Look at this carefully and get this deep in your spirit tonight because this will affect how you appropriate the principles, the factors of supernatural increase, how you live your life. You can't please God. It's impossible to please Him without believing Him. He that comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's what the scripture teaches us. So you, you can't please him. So if you just set all the little rules and regulations aside for a moment, just focus on one thing, I'm going to please God by believing in him. A funny thing will happen. You'll do a better job lining up with all the rules and regulations that he has for you and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You'll do a better job starting with believing in God. 
you do a better job lining up with the principles of the Word and what the Spirit is saying to you, you'll do a better job by believing God first and, and foremost. Rather than saying, well, I'll do all this stuff and God will be pleased with me and He'll have favor upon my life. No. What He favors is you believing Him. Write this down. He favors faith. He doesn't care what your hair color is. He doesn't care about your background or culture. He could care less about the shade of your skin. He's made all of us in His image and we're precious to Him. He doesn't care how religious you are and, and how you try to pray more than somebody else, you know, or, or try to promote yourself or whatever. The only thing that actually touches His heart and that He favors is a thing called faith. So if I want to experience supernatural increase, if I want to see Him do great things in me and through me, what do I have to do? I have to believe Him. And fortunately, this isn't hidden to us, is it? Well, how can I develop, you know, my faith? How, how could I possibly become a person that believes God more? It's not a mystery. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? By the Word. So any Christian that is distancing themselves from the Word is distancing themselves from believing God, which means they're distancing themselves from pleasing God, which means they're distancing themselves from the favor of God. Well, I'm not going to distance myself from the favor of God. I want more and more, not less and less. Say it with me. The favor of God is tapped by faith. That means that any, any Christian can do it. Notice I said Christian. You've got to be born again or this whole thing doesn't work. No matter how much you beg whatever you perceive to be God out there, you must be born again. But those of us that are born again, and thank God we are, there's no mystery to us now how we can make sure that we're believing God. There's no way to, uh, to do this without a very high view of Scripture. What you have on your laptop or you have on your phone or you have on your iPad or you have in your lap right now, this is not man-made. This is not man-written. This is Holy Spirit inspired. The very mouth of God. You have the Word of God. And that's where the believing starts. I shouldn't have to maybe take a little few steps back on this in the church. And I sure hope I don't have to in this church. But capital C, there's a big problem in the body of Christ right now. Because they don't honor the Word of God like 99.99% of you do. I'm just leaving a little room there for somebody who hadn't been listening to me for the past 20 years. It's bound to happen, amen? <laughs> right? Hello. The big C is having a problem because they can't even decide, many people, whether they even believe in the integrity of the Word of God, that it is infallible, that it is inerrant. So if I can't even believe that the foundation of my faith, right, is what God says it is, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? With God and the Word was God. You see, I'm, I am chipping away at the very foundation of my faith because I'm not just chipping away at the integrity of the Word of God. I'm questioning the integrity of the God of the Word. Right? 
So how am I possibly going to succeed in supernatural increase when I know that a major factor of increase is believing, but I can't even decide if I believe the Bible, which is the basis for everything we teach about supernatural increase. Make up your mind right now. I don't care how big the platform is, don't care where they are, don't care how, how well they're known or, or not known at all. Just because they happen to put up a YouTube channel does not make them an authority on, on theology. You hold to the Word of God. Your believing starts with, this is the Word of God. Amen. Holy men of God spake as what? As the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Scripture tells us, this is the Word of the Lord made more certain. The Word of God is more certain than any manifestation, than any gift you would see in operation, than anything that you could observe you know, in or outside of the church. You've got to have the highest of highest, highest of you. That's where the believing has to start. Say, so I believe that book. Cover to cover. And I wish it was just, you know, the liberals, you know, and the Ivy Leagues, you know, and the Oxfords and all these people that, you know, that used to believe, you know, that, that Harvard was set up as a ministry training center. That's how Harvard started was to preach the gospel. And now it's all about diversity. Now it's all about being woke. And I tell you something, if you think you're woke and you're violating the word of God, you are most asleep. Amen. Scripture tells us to awake to righteousness. Jesus said to the Pharisees, because you say that you see, you're still blind. Your job is not to be woke based on what the culture says. Your job is to be alive spiritually. And you're going to find out that these, th these two things will never, ever live side by side. You either go down political correctness and wokeness, or you'll come alive to Christ. And I understand that happening in the world, but frankly, I don't understand it happening in the church. I don't understand any Catholic believe that. I don't understand any Lutheran believe that. Dear God, I know that. I don't understand anybody going down that path. I don't understand the high church doing that, the Presbyterians and the, you know, the Anglicans doing that, the Lutherans doing that, but I sure can't understand anybody in the evangelical community doing it. But guess who's been doing it the most lately? Evangelicals. And not just evangelicals, so-called people from a spirit-filled background have now begun the one to sit in judgment over the Word of God, and this is true, and that's not true, and this is for today, and that's not for today. And, you know, this is merely just, just man-made and mad-written. We don't have to follow this. We just kind of make up our own rules as we go along and then tack on Christ on the end of it. Listen, if you reject His Word, you reject Him. If you take away from that Word, you take away of your part to eat of the tree of life. The words of Jesus need to become alive to us. These people are contradicting the Lord himself. And in some cases, by the thousands, people are coming to listen to this heresy. The moment you hear a preacher say that that book is not infallible, that book is not an error, the moment you hear somebody say that is not the word of God, don't walk. You run. You shut that off because that will get into your spirit. Well, you know, maybe it's not completely. In other words, they're, they're so brilliant in their mind, they sit in judgment over God himself. They're smarter than God. Look at somebody and tell them, you are not smarter than God. You will never be smarter than God. Look at them and say, God's word judges you. You don't judge God's word. Do we judge prophecies? Yes. 
Tongues interpretation? Yes, because we're told to evaluate those in light of what? The word. What if you take the standard away? Then you have nothing to judge the integrity of a prophecy or an action or a manifestation or a direction or a decision. You have nothing to base it on. Can you see how the devil's trying to sow confusion into the hearts of God's people? I mean, I, I, I am grieved over this. Uh, you know, being involved in the ministry, you know, all my adult life, when we were in Hopkinsville, we did this illustrated sermon. Um, I believe it was called To Hell and Back. <laughs> Some of you have lived that way, so you know exactly what that's like. And what it is, is, a, you know, vignettes of, of people that, that did not go to heaven. Now, I'm sorry, but I am very traditional on this because the Word of God is very plain. There is a hell. And there is a heaven. And if there's not a hell, then we're all lying to you and wasting your time. Why are we sending missionaries out? Why are we gathering together? If there's no hell, what's the point? Eat, drink, and be merry because what? Tomorrow you'll die, but you'll all go to heaven because there is no hell. And so in this little illustrated sermon, and maybe we'll do it sometime, and some of y'all will have go to hell. I mean, just, just so you can make sure you don't want to go there in real. Amen. <laughs> But little vignettes, you know, you have a murderer there that didn't repent and he's in hell. You know, he comes out behind a rock, you know, and he kind of does this number. And you have the adulterer that's there and you have the liar that's there. And, you know, there's different vignettes of people that violated the word of God and never got right with Jesus. And, and that's where they are. Even some characters in scripture, you're like when Paul said, Agrippa, what did he say to Agrippa when he was talking to him? Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You see, I can do the King James thing too occasionally. Almost thou persuadest me. <laughs> and how sad. Because he stands up behind the rock and he goes, almost. Well, if he didn't repent, where is he? The one scene, many of you will remember Mark and Tracy Morgan. They were associates here years ago. You remember Mark and Tracy? Um, he's, uh, he's in the chaplaincy with the United States military doing a super job for them. I'm not real sure where he is right now. Last I heard, he was in in D.C. area somewhere. <laughs> but um, we had, and that's him right now in the helicopter coming through again. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what these Cobras are practicing for, but they've been out a lot lately. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, the you know the basic vignette is there's a preacher, and he starts this relativism in his church, this progressive Christianity, and he doesn't teach. Repentance and doesn't teach justification by faith and doesn't teach the new birth and he goes to hell. The problem is he's not the only one in that scene. He has this crowd of people around him and they're all in hell. This is serious stuff. You know, if you're going to do this, I su- if you're going to believe this way, I suggest you leave the ministry. It's one thing for you to take yourself there. It's another thing to take everybody else that's listening to you. Because I'll tell you what, you'd be amazed how many people would sit under a ministry like this and they go off somewhere in a town and sit under that heresy and sit there and listen to it until it poisons them, even when they know better. Especially if they find some kind of a social connection or relational reason to be there. Can I tell you something? No relationship is worth you going to hell. Losing out on God's best. Say it with me, I believe. And so what happens is this preacher shows up in hell and he'd say, you think there'll actually be preachers in hell? Oh, yeah. 
If they violate the word of God, if they denounce God, if they walk away from the things of God, absolutely. And the church, you know, those in the church that followed him uh, show up in hell and they all start beating on him. I mean, beating on him. Now, the man playing the preacher was one of our elders. He was probably 75 at the time. And let's just say that Tracy Morgan really got into the vignette. And she's just, some guy, she's just pelting this guy. And I said, Tracy, you're going to kill him for real if you don't stop. Just take it easy. But in that scene, you could see what, what is somebody who sat under someone they trusted to tell them the truth? How are they going to feel on that day? Because this is not a joke. I mean, in, in the, in the post-Christian America, you know, in the woke society, all they're talking about that, heaven and hell stuff again. All that stuff is just phony baloney. Well, I'll tell you what, you, you can think that way, but guess what? When you die, it's appointed a man to what? To die once and then, absent from the body, present with the Lord, it's over. You've got to believe, make up your mind, you're going to believe what the Word says. So, uh, I don't... I really don't think that there's a lot of people flirting with that around here. I just want to encourage you that there's no point in talking about these wonderful, great factors for supernatural increase if you're wavering in your belief over the integrity of the Word of God. Come on, say it with me. It's first place and it's final authority. It's the first place I go to for counsel. And once the Word speaks, the argument is over. It's final authority. I don't go to it last. I go to it first. And once I understand what it says, then I'm going to stick with it. That is a recipe for a lifetime of victory. What does it say? Go out and do it. Now, people that live that way, people that actually believe, have a high view of Scripture. Not a relativistic view of Scripture, or I can parse it, and I can redact it, I can choose, I can pick, I can do whatever I want with it. No, that, they're going to have two different outcomes on this planet and, you know, in the life to come. There's going to be a different outcome for it. So the first thing we've got to resolve is that if we're going to be believing as Factor 6 talks about, the first step is make sure we're believing the Word and we're on the same page. How many Bible people do we have out there tonight? Raise your hand if you're a Bible person. Say it first place and final authority. Hebrews 6.12, you know, the writer goes on to say, we don't want you to become lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised or inherit the promises. Now watch this. Don't be lazy, but imitate them. Yes, you should be imitating people in the body of Christ. Not following. You follow what? Paul said, follow me as I what? Follow Christ. If I'm not following Christ, you should what? Stop following. It's perfectly fine to look at somebody's lifestyle and go and imitate that, especially if you see that there's, you know, consistency there and there's life there and there's fruit there and they're, they're steady. Let me help you out here. If you want to be impressed with a Christian or Christian leader, don't be impressed about bells and whistles and how many books or tapes or CDs or whatever, how many channels are on. That's all fine and dandy, and some are called to do it. Some are not called to do it. Be impressed with how steady they are. Because now you're seeing a reflection of maturity. When they could have bailed out or they could have got offended or they could have, you know, had an attitude or they could have bailed or they could have been deceived. But, you know, years later, there they are. <laughs> They're still 
serving God. Look at somebody and tell them, in the kingdom of God, boring is good. Come on, say it. Boring is good. Steady is good. You find you in 15, 20, 25 years of the Lord tarries. There you are, still with a high view of Scripture. Still making it first place and final authority. Still not buying into all the wokeness and all the nonsense and all the progressivism that's out there. No, you're believing what? Why is this important? Because whatever you do with Scripture is going to completely inform your worldview. And if your worldview is anything but consistent with that book, you're going to have problems. I don't expect people to jump up and down and cheer for you. Amen. Turn this at my intent and stick to the word. Imitate those who through faith and patience. So we talked about patience, but I want to focus tonight on the believing part of that. Through faith and patience. Well, how are you going to have, how can you imitate somebody if you're not doing what they did to obtain the faith that they walked in? To imitate them and imitate their faith is you have to imitate their life of discipline, their life of feasting on the Word of God, hearing and doing, listening and obeying. That's how this works. And you'll see through the Scripture that the ones that got the success, the ones that had the breakthroughs were people that did what? They heard and they obeyed. How does it go in Scripture for people to hear and don't do it? Not very well. But how many know the people that would hear God and do it? He gave them breakthroughs. They gave him victories. They saw increase. They were moving in victory in this life. Glory to God. So write this down. Believing is the sixth increase factor that we're talking about. Remember we started this series with seven. You're probably thinking it took us this long to get to six. Well, we might as well go ahead and finish it, huh? Praise the Lord. You don't want to get to the top of the ninth and bases loaded and not, not finish you want to stay there, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. It's a sixth increase factor, and it's critical for tapping into supernatural increase. It's not going to happen unless you have a spirit of believing God about you. In fact, we can't tap into anything supernatural. I mean on God's side of supernatural. I mean on the Word side of supernatural. You can't tap into anything without faith. Write this down. Faith is the connection to the power of God. When I say supernatural, I'm talking about beyond natural. I'm talking about above natural. We're talking about something that can't be done in the natural. Once you get a hold of this in your heart, you're saying to yourself, okay, I'm laying hold of these principles and I believe what God's word says about this. You should have great joy in your heart because you're about to see God do things that could never be done in the natural in your life. You're not limited to what you can do. You're not limited to your strength, ingenuity, ideas, and concepts. You're not limited to what you can muster up in your own strength and power and wisdom. You're not subject to that. You can go to a realm that you never went to before. When you get a hold of this, you begin to understand, I, by, by believing God, believing what he said, can go to a level where he can move in my life like he's never moved before. And that's where you're going. Say it with me. I'm going up. Can I tell you one thing about Hope Harbor? It's going up. Name a category. Any category. It's going up. Hallelujah. Say it with me, I'm going up. Up to what? Up to a place where he can do things in your life 
that require the supernatural. But because they require the supernatural, you see supernatural results. I'm thankful that we can read the Word of God and see that, that God is not a God of yesterday. He didn't use to do miracles. He didn't use to raise the dead. He didn't use to heal the sick. He didn't use to supernaturally provide for people. He didn't use to multiply food. Anything you can see in the Word of God, he is still what? He's still doing it. Well, not for me. Well, maybe it's a believing factor. Amen. Glory to God. Believing means the decision to go with God even if it contradicts your thoughts. Even if it contradicts your prior experiences. Listen to this. Even if it contradicts previous teachings you've had. Believing means the decision to go with God and his word, even when it contradicts your thoughts, experiences, or even teachings. And why do I say that? Because all of us have had things sown into our lives that were not exactly spiritual or scriptural. We've had to unlearn some things. Raise your hand if you had to unlearn something since you've been here. But you know what? When it began to, to deal with or challenge that tradition, Jesus said the traditions of men make the word of God an effect. It robs the word of its power for you because that's not believing, that's analyzing, that's rationalizing. You see that? Amen. I want to just pause there and say this to you. When you have that moment where here's what you are taught and here's what God's trying to say, you have a decision right at that moment to go with God, to believe his word or believe your tradition. I was raised that infant baptism was, a, was an efficacy that poured the grace of the church out on me and that was what was necessary for salvation. There's only one problem with that, and I could care less about all the theological arguments and, and getting into fisticuffs with people because they believe differently. I'm just simply saying that you and I know that Scripture teaches that, that water baptism is for somebody who has personally repented of their sin and asked the Lord into their life. And that repentance, amen, is an outward expression of an inward activity spiritually. It's an outward identification with his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm going to live for him. So how in the world could a two-month-old, three-month-old do that? You see that? So nobody did this to me, but the Spirit of God began to talk to me for a long time. I mean, two years into being born again, consistently he would speak to me, you need to follow me in baptism, follow me in baptism, follow me in baptism. So I did. Finally, one Easter in 1984, it just got too much I couldn't handle anymore. And asked Mark Randall, and we went out to the lake in April. April 22nd. That's how much it's burned into my consciousness. Or should I say frozen into my consciousness? April 22nd, 1984, him and a friend of mine, Rusty Chisholm, observing, I was baptized in a very cold place I never shot out of water so fast in my life. But it took. Amen. I but here's the point. Not one person pushed me or talked to me or rebuked me or corrected me. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that. There is for us to be teachable. The Spirit of God simply said, you, you're a believer. Now do what believers do. And I can't tell you the peace that I walked out of that experience with. Why? Because I did what the Spirit of God 
told me to do. And that's the whole point. You're going to see that God and his word are one. The spirit of God and the word of God work in sync. There is unity there of thought and application. And there's going to be times when the word rubs your thoughts the wrong way. What should you do? You take the John Osteen theology. If we're rubbing the cat the wrong way, turn the cat around. Don't put yourself in a superior position to the Word of God. Now, that's when the Word of God is made plain to you. All of us have things that uh, we have to unlearn. Listen, I, start with the basics with me. The baptism is one thing, but go even further back than baptism to how is a person saved? I got confirmed. I appreciate that pastor to this day. He's retired now in Kansas City and sat us down. There were two of us in our confirmation class. It was huge. We were in the same grade in high school. And uh, this was actually before high school, by middle school, something like that, seventh, eighth grade. And um, we sat down with him on a regular basis. And one of the things he did in the confirmation was he went through the Ten Commandments with us. And he had the wisdom to show us how to actually do the Ten Commandments rather than the do-nots. It's one thing to say, thou shalt not steal. It's another thing to tell you what? Be benevolent. As Todd talked about Sunday, be, live with an open hand in your life. It's another thing to, to talk about, do not do this, but it's a whole other matter to learn how to be proactive and positive. I mean, I understand if you're doing the positive, you're not going to go around doing the negative. You develop a lifestyle of applying with the word. And I appreciate how you did that to this day. But the fact is, nowhere in the confirmation was a teaching on the new birth. And you say missed opportunity? In fact, I never heard an evangelical message in a Lutheran church until after I was already out of Murray State. By the time my brother actually got married in Lutheran church, and the, it was an evangelical Lutheran church. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? But there's a big difference between a Missouri Synod church and Lutheran church and an evangelical Lutheran church because you're going to hear what? You're going to hear more about the new birth. I think I was probably 19, 20 years old before I ever heard a message on the new birth in the church I grew up in. So now what do I have to do? I have to decide. Did my confirmation and my infant baptism save me? That's what I was taught. That runs directly into contradiction of what Jesus said. You must be born again. It runs directly in contradiction to what Paul said in Romans 10, 9, and 10. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord and confession is made unto salvation. Well, either Jesus and Paul are right or I'm right. I'm going to go with Paul and Jesus. Look at somebody say it's wise to go with the word, not with you. And that's just a simple illustration, but it tells you even at the foundational level, your thinking and training could be wrong. Well, I was always taught this. That's irrelevant. So that doesn't mean I become, you know, the anti-Lutheran apologist. That's not my job. I appreciate my foundation. In fact, when I got sick, you know, I had a very bad case of mono as an athlete and was still training while I had it. It's only the grace of God because you can literally be swimming in the pool one day and you have your spleen explode. And by the time they get you to a place where there's health care, get you to, you know, a surgeon, you're done. Doesn't take long to bleed out when something like that happens. And it has happened to athletes. I mean, very, very sick. 
But I want you to know this. When that happened to me, I didn't turn away from God. I opened my heart further based on the foundation that I had. I knew where to go. And I will always thank God, Jackie, for my foundation because I knew where to go. And you know what? The Lord saved me and he healed me that night. He filled me with his spirit. And I never had an issue with that disease ever again. The foundation. Now, does that mean everything that I was taught is true? No. It means that what you want to do to be a believing believer is make the decision at those times when the word of God contradicts your thoughts, your experiences, and your previous teachings and say, you know what? I'm just going to go with God. Look at somebody and tell them, go with God. Now, um, there's a thousand different things we could talk about. You know, you could come up with your own story of how a teaching ran completely contradictory to what you had been taught all your life. And you heard it, it was the word of God, now you have a decision to make. Here's the funny thing that happens. If you ever choke on the correction of the spirit of God, your learning is over. You're done. Your revelation is, is at that level, that's where it will stop. And that's why some of us don't grow is because we get to a place on some issue and we choke. Some of you may have choked on the fifth or sixth message on sowing. I don't know. Say it with me. I didn't choke. Say it. I want to know. Say it. I want to grow. But where you choke is where you stop growing. I said this to Tyler the other day. I said, Tyler, you know, you know you're like, you know, in your mid-20s. You just turned 24. Is that right, Rodney? Yeah, 24. Young man. Um. I said, you're 24. I said, but you're not 24 spiritually. <laughs> you're not going to bamboozle Tyler because you think he's 24. Because he's not 24. A lot like Timothy, he's more like 45, 50 in the things of the Spirit. You understand what I'm saying to you? So the discernment and the understanding is going to be there. That comes from a lifetime of sitting under the word. That, that comes because his mom and his dad refused to play the devil's games and refused to be anything but steady, boring. Thank God. Amen. There's some people that are 80 and they're too spiritually. Why would that happen? They've got to be in the Word, and the Word needs to have free course in their life, and they can't reject it when it corrects something, their thoughts, their experiences, or even a prior teaching. Say, so I have a teachable spirit. I'm a believer. So at the point where you choke, that's where the growing stops. And you say, well, Pastor, I'm not, I'm, I'm not choking at all. I'm grabbing onto this. I promise you, as the Lord continues to pour out revelation on his church, you're still going to have the opportunity to choke. Because you haven't heard it all. Amen. And contrary to what you may believe, you're not fully sanctified yet. Huh? So here comes God dealing with something in your life and you'll have the same decision over and over again. 
the day you're born again, five years from the day you're born again, 25 years from the day you're born again. It's In other words, it's a spirit, it's an attitude about you. I am going to be teachable all the days of my life. Say, I am teachable. I am correctable. Believing is that sixth factor. But you start with a high view of Scripture, and then you make up your mind that whatever God's Word says goes. Amen. Glory to God. Write this down. Keith Moore said this for many years. Correction is good. I didn't say it felt good. <laughs> I said it is good. Correction never feels good. Having humble yourself is never fun. There's nothing great about being disciplined, whether it's taking a privilege away or being you know, spanked, whatever the case might be. And you actually believe in spanking, Pastor? Yes, I do. Uh, why? Watch this. Okay? Great example. The Spirit of God wants me to go down this path for a moment, so if you get offended, you just turn the cat the other way. I didn't say beat. I didn't say abuse. I said spank. There's a reason why there's a lot of pad on your rear end. The Bible is explicit on this. If you've read it, right? But a Christian who's got a void there could be very much influenced by the culture and political correctness and what Sweden is doing or what Oprah says, bless her heart. Never met her. I'm sure she's just a delightful person, but her views that contradict Scripture cannot be integrated by a believer. Just because you happen to think that she's overcome a lot, and she has, and she's become a great success, and she has. But you can't say, because someone has a visible platform, that you should accept what they say on anything. So I've dealt with, as a pastor, young couples coming through here, and they've bought into the lie. We, we don't spank. We tell our kids to use their words. Okay. Use your words and spank. In other words, don't kick the word of God out just because you may think you've tacked on to some kind of newfound wisdom. I've seen kids raised up in the church. Holy tears. Because parents would not do this. Where do they get that influence from? Well, the counselor said, stop. The therapist said, stop. The same therapist that used to say that homosexuality was an aberration, was abnormal, documented in medical journals, now say, the same people say, it's a perfectly acceptable lifestyle. Anyone says otherwise is just a bigot. Same people are telling you now there's more than one, more than two genders. It's not complicated. Let me help you out here. Look at somebody and say, life is much more simple. If you stick to the word. Okay, how many genders are there? In the beginning, God made them male and female. Close the book. No argument. No reason to get mean. Plain and simple. The word is very plain. 
on the parameters of sexuality. Uh, because people, even in the church, are bending with the culture on these issues, a Pandora's box has now been opened, and a parent is suing to marry their biological kid. Yes. You say, that can't possibly be? Yes. They're suing based on the trampling of their individual rights through the pursuit of happiness and whatever. Amen. Next it'll be they... <laughs> I'd like to say I was kidding. But interestingly enough, the same book that bans homosexual behavior also bans that kind of relationship between blood relatives. Shazam. Go figure. Just stick to what? Stick to the word. Now, a young couple will say, well, I would, I would never you know, agree with that. They would agree with dismissing the word on corporal punishment. I didn't say capital punishment. I said corporal punishment. And I tell you, some of these parents are just fit to be taught. They, you know, they don't know what to do. And a simple application of the word of God would solve a lot. Amen. Well, I just don't, I just don't agree with spanking kids. You just don't agree with the word. That's your problem. Now, if you could be pushed off of that, what else is the devil going to push you off of? Because society and the counselor and the country and the government doesn't think that you should be doing that. See, if you're not careful, but at the same time, if you're honest, you can identify subtle word compromises in your thinking. Those are the same areas the devil will use to defeat you. Say, I'm going with the word of God. Now, I didn't get many spankings because I was an angel. Actually, I was just observant. I watched my older, my older sister and my two older brothers, what they would do. And I say, that made Doris mad. That made Doris furious. That made Doris foam at the mouth. I'm not doing that. No, I am not. And some of y'all think these stories are made up. They're not. And the names are not changed to protect the innocent because we're all guilty. Amen? Like, can I tell you something? All four of her kids are functional. All four in their different areas of what God's called them to do have, have made an impact. Amen? Some of us are more functional than others. <laughs> um, Timothy wasn't spanked that much. You want to know why? Watch this. Elizabeth Elliot taught this, and James Dobson taught this and still teaches this. The child should be spanked. Some of y'all need a little bit more, more pushing here. When they openly defy authority, not just parental authority, educational authority, anywhere. Because if they don't yield then, eventually an authority is going to make them yield. Jail cell or cemetery, something like that, right? Uh, the other occasion was if they were doing something that will harm themselves or somebody else. Real simple. It's not for everything in the book. You know, they spilt their milk in the back of your car or Cheerios. And uh, so I, um, 
I just made this very, very simple rule. We got into agreement about that, and that was the other part. You, as a couple, you have to be in agreement. You can't make one the heavy. And the, This parenting seminar is free for you tonight. There's no extra charge for this. You just... <laughs> but uh, it is true. You, you spare the rod, and what happens? And what that really means is you corrupt the child. I don't know how my child got corrupted. <laughs> we'll just leave that lying on the floor right there. But uh, we use what was called the one-time rule, not to not the 15 warnings until you get mad. That way, whatever we did do was completely controlled in terms of emotion and was disciplined in love and deliberately instead of in anger. And so he just he really just didn't get angry one time. But one time we were riding back from Paducah. We had a white van and what was he, five? I don't know. Somewhere in there, four or five. <laughs> And uh, he discovered on the door panel of the door that you could turn off the child safety switch that kept you from opening up the door on the inside. I didn't see it, but coming down you know, 641 there, uh, the door flies open. And I'm looking at him, and he's looking, and immediately there's just guilt on his face. He's going to love me for telling this story. He said, <laughs> and uh, I pulled the car over. Now, I didn't explicitly tell him not to open the door, so this falls into what category? You're doing something that is potentially dangerous to yourself or someone else. No seatbelt, he could have fallen right out. Yeah, I mean, that would have been the, 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 the capstone of the whole event. So, yes, it was a very, very dangerous thing to do. So we pull over, and I flip it back the right way <laughs> and shut the door. And he's just staring at me in the rearview mirror the whole way home, hoping I'll forget. To be honest, Kelly was hoping I'd forget too. <laughs> but I knew one thing: that there's this is not only an important you know lesson for him, a teachable moment, but you know this could actually impact his life. I'm angry, not mad, but applying the principle. And so, yes, when he got home, he received a few whacks, and he cried a little bit and got over it, and that was the end of it, you know. And, you know, he apologized, and he, he went on. He learned something. If you ask him today, he's not scarred by it. But here's what began to happen. Let's say that he would now do something that was remotely defiant or in danger to himself or someone else. All I'd have to do is say, that's one. <laughs> one time what? The one-time rule. He ends up getting comparatively little corporal discipline to other parents because that was not in play. Now, why bring this up? This is just an illustration. If a Christian says, I'm a Bible person, but goes with Oprah or Sweden, and yes, I don't recommend you beat them in, in the middle of a store somewhere. Because what will happen to you? They'll report you, and Kelly will have to investigate you. <laughs> uh, not everybody agrees with you. I'm just simply saying that if you're going to be a Bible person, be a Bible person. Amen. Because if you will not commit on one thing, you can be corrupted in some other area of the Scriptures. Hello? No, that's right, Pastor. The message is really not about spanking your kids tonight. But the foundation of this principle, this factor of believing God, starts with the integrity of the word. You can't say, I believe the Bible, if you 
basically exempt yourself from parts of it. You have to embrace the totality of what God is saying. The principles have to be there. So it's fine and dandy to say, amen, marriage is between a man and a woman. And then turn right around the corner and say, but we don't spank our kids. The same voice that told you that same-sex marriage was okay is the same voice telling you that you don't have to discipline your kids. Use your words. Express yourself. Let me help you out here. When a kid does something that warrants you know, you know, a spanking, he already expressed himself. Now it's time for you to express yourself. Amen. Glory to God. It's getting awful quiet in this church. Can I help you out here? I'm not going to spank you. Chill. <laughs> Come on, say it with me. It's an illustration. Hold to the integrity of the Word of God. Yes, amen. I'm not saying your kid's going to be a till of the hum, but I can tell you what, your home life and their future life, their level of respect for authority uh, across the board is going to be higher. If you do, it needs to be done. Amen. Praise God. Say it, I'm a believer. Believing means the decision to go with God and His Word whenever, and even if it contradicts our thoughts, our experiences, or previous teachings. Say it with you, I'm teachable, I'm pliable, I am moldable. So what does this mean? Well, if I have made the decision to go with the Word of God, then I believe that walking in the truth will cause me to supernaturally increase. I believe that if I am faithful, he will increase me. I believe if I am diligent, it will cause increase in my life. I believe if I tithe, it's going to impact me and increase me. I believe that if I'm a sower, see, I'm going to have a harvest. Amen. But if I'm not committed to what the word says, I may not be a believer at all, or I may be just a piecemeal believer. The point is, believing believers do what? They believe. They believe what God said. That's what it means to be a word church. That's what it means to have a high view of Scripture. That is what it means to have, you know, and understand the integrity of the Word of God. It is whole and sound and right and true. We are not. It judges us. We are not in a position to judge it. To judge the word is to judge God. Can you see how arrogant that is? What happens to somebody with that level of arrogance? Pride goes before a fall. A haughty spirit before what? Huh? It's like Count Dooku in Star Wars. Anakin says, my powers have doubled since our last encounter. And you know what Dooku says? Great. Double the pride. Twice the fall. It's a great line. The more prideful you become. And the, the correct definition of biblically of pride is to put yourself above the scripture, to deviate from the scripture. That's the greatest demonstration of pride. So someone who's sitting in judgment over the Word of God in some pulpit tonight or writing some book or some blog or whatever on a YouTube channel, they're not showing humility. Humility is to submit to the Word of God in all of its manifestation, all of its understanding, in every principle. That makes you 
a humble person. Amen? Say it one more time. I'm a word person. Believing. Believing will impact what? Supernatural increase. So if, how many of you say tonight, God, if, if, if I'm in contradiction in my thinking on something in your word, correct me. Can you say that tonight? Correct me. And, and it's not necessarily just going to come from the pulpit. In your personal time in prayer. Your personal time in the word of God. Amen. Say correction is good. Especially when the end result is the benefits of God and the goodness of God and greater manifestation of what he has. Amen. Greater peace in your life. You know that the people who stick to the word of God have greater peace than those that don't. Scripture says, great peace have they who love your law. And nothing can what? Nothing can cause them to stumble. Nothing can offend them. Great peace. Great shalom have they who what? Love your law. If you love the law, you're not going to put yourself in opposition to it or put yourself above the word. Great peace have they who love the law. Nothing can what? Offend them. Watch this. Raise your hand if you know somebody who has been easily offended. Easily offended. They're offendable. I mean, they're just, just looking for a reason. You want to know why? Because they don't have great love for the word. You are not offendable when you have the highest view of Scripture. All offense does is, is actually show and spotlight somebody who is not in a right relationship with the Word of God. The same with me. Great peace. Have they who love your Word. And nothing can cause them to stumble. Nothing can offend them. There's a place you get to in the Word of God that doesn't care about what people think. Doesn't care if you're popular. Don't care if you get invited. Amen. Don't care if everybody does what you want. You know. Doesn't care, you know, if, if somebody chooses to walk away from you. What does peace do? Amen. I'm glad that you had this time in my life. Now go about your business. Amen. Your season in my life is over. Some of y'all need to hear this tonight. Amen. Bye-bye. <laughs> but don't walk around offended. Why? Because you're healthy because of the word that's in you. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap tonight and thank him for it.